Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Ben Jaroski Show is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor, SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Teachers Union, and of course, the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. And you can be a binhead. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jaroski. Thursday, August 5th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, the one, the only, Jimmy Dore. And now your host, yes, the one, the only. Never met a man like this person. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Uh, hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this What Would Harold Do Thursday? And here's why. Woke up this morning and saw this headline in my beloved bright one, Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always. I will now show it to the listeners. <laughs> realizing, of course, that uh, there is no video of this show, so they can't see what I'm doing. So for all they know, I'm holding up a 1963 edition of Playboy. Thanks for lending that to me, D. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, <laughs> headline in the Chicago Sun-Times. No one rushed to the rescue. And then the, the subhead reads, Park District boss promised female lifeguard he would launch immediate investigation into her claims of abuse, harassment, and drug use by coworkers, then sat on report until another complaint six weeks later, sources say. Wow. The article inside by Fran Spielman and uh, Lauren Fitzpatrick fleshes out the gruesome details of allegations of assault and intimidation and thuggery perpetrated by male lifeguards, park district employees, I want to add, against their female colleagues. They've been drinking and smoking reefer, partying like rock stars. It's the latest in a series of exposés of lifeguards by the local media, most notably our dear friend Dan Mialopoulos over at WBEZ. A young Daniel was supposed to join us today, but at the very last minute, D, he got called away uh, on an assignment and could not join us. How about that? But we'll get him on sooner enough. Dan's been breaking stories about abuses by lifeguards, not just in Chicago, but in Evanston, my beloved Evanston, my hometown, where I went to high school and studied algebra. The alleged abuse is the worst part of the stories that Dan has written and the Sun-Times has written. But the rest of the story is pretty bad, too. It's like both municipalities Evanston and Chicago are in full-blown cover-up mode, bearing evidence, looking the other way, denying reporters' claims for more information, using the Freedom of Information Act process as a box to conceal the truth as opposed to a tool to reveal it. That's what they're doing. 
They got their lawyers, the park district concocting all kinds of excuses to keep Dan and the other reporters from getting at documents that would give them some sense of what happened, some sense of what is the truth, some sense of who knew what and when and who did what, what kind of investigation there was, if any, or were they just sweeping it under the rug? When I read Dan's accounts, when I read the Sun-Times accounts, it's like we never learn in this city, or apparently in the suburbs. The suburbs never learn from Chicago's bad example. We're only what? Let me do the math. Six years out from Laquan McDonald, and we're doing the same thing. Remember the Quan McDonald situation? Jason Van Dyke, a police officer, shot Laquan McDonald 16 times. The official police version said that Van Dyke had no choice because Laquan McDonald was lurching at him with a knife in his hand. The city paid McDonald's family $5 million. Clearly an attempt just to bury the case, make the story go away. This was the, uh, the shooting happened in 2014. The municipal payout happened in 2015. And by the mayor, mayoral election, Rahm versus Chewy Garcia, it was non-existent. Rahm Emanuel was victorious. Turns out there was a tape of what happened. Reporters and activists filed a FOIA request to get at it. Rahm Emanuel's administration said, no way. It's part of an ongoing investigation. Can't reveal evidence. Blah, 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 blah. We get the lawyers to write up the documents, et cetera, and so forth. They took it to court. The activists did. And the judge rules that the city had to turn it over. And so we got to see the recording. We learned that the police version was wrong and that McDonald wasn't lunging toward Van Dyke. He was walking away and that there was no compelling reason to shoot him, much less 16 times. And then the only reason we learned this is because a judge made Mayor Rahm give up that tape. I was thinking about this the other night at the hideout. Judge Tim Evans was our guest. Judge Tim Evans, as you all know, is the chief justice of the Cook County Court. Uh, We recorded the event. You can hear it. Just go to uh, listen to the podcast. Dennis dutifully dropped it last night. Thank you very much, Dr. D. But before Tim Evans was Judge Evans, he was Alderman Evans. He was Harold Washington's floor leader. Yes, the great Harold Washington back in the 1980s. Millennials, I know, I know you're sick of old timers talking about Harold Washington. I know, I know it's ancient history. After Harold Washington died in 1987, Tim Evans wanted to run for mayor. Eugene Sawyer wanted to run for mayor. Two black aldermen. There was a huge rivalry. There was a split in the black community. Sawyer got the nod. Evans did not. But the result of that division was a large reason why Richard M. Daley was elected mayor in 1989. This is basic Chicago history. And this, so that split in the black community the division in the black community and the apathy and like nihilism and alienation from the political process that set in all throughout the nineties enabled Richard M. Daly. One of the reasons enabled Richard M. Daly to sit in office for 21 years and then hand off the job to Rom who sat in office for another eight years and probably would still be the mayor of the city of Chicago. If that judge hadn't ordered mayor Rom to give up the videotape of Laquan McDonald shooting, the whole world saw went down. One thing led to another, and Ron decided not to run for earlier election. So I was listening there, having a conversation with Tim Evans at the hideout, talking about the ancient days when he and Sawyer had their, their split. And does he have any regrets about it? It's at the end of the tape. You can hear it for yourself. And while I was talking, I was wondering, what would the city be like if Harold Washington had not died? For instance, would Harold Washington 
have buried evidence of what went down with Laquan McDonald? Would he have concealed the tape? Would Harold Washington have forced the activist and reporter to go to court to get it? Or would he have released it right away, thus igniting charges against Van Dyke? Because how can you ignore that kind of evidence if you want to have a civilized society? There's many, many more instances. Would Harold Washington have sold the parking meters for a fraction of what they're worth? Would he have wasted all our money and efforts to try to bring the Olympics to town? Would he have closed all the schools and mental health clinics in poor black neighborhoods? Would he have spent all that TIF money in gentrifying neighborhoods instead of spending it where it's supposed to go in poor blighted neighborhoods? And to that list of things where you wonder what Harold would have done, add the scandal of the beach. Lifeguards sexually harassing coworkers and the park district officials looking the other way for six weeks. If you bury it, maybe it'll go away. That is so freaking Chicago. <laughs> Would it have made any difference under Harold? I do not know. I like to think that the answer is no. But really, folks, ultimately, I do not know. So I urge the damiolopolis of the word to keep on pushing. Because one thing we've learned about public leaders in Chicago, you can't count on them to do the right thing, even when they know it's the right thing. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed. Jimmy Dore will be joining us. Did you reach out to him, D? Yep, sent the email. All right, sent the email. A little early. Let's see if he's uh, sent me a... Nope, hasn't sent me a list. Yeah, this has been quite a show, folks. I'm going to break the fourth wall. Hold on, I have a drink of water before I do it. Smash that fourth wall. Thank you, D. We were supposed to have young Dan on the show with us, but uh, he got called away at the last minute. I mean, literally at the last minute. Uh, uh, and um, so, okay. Uh, we had already scheduled Jimmy Dore to be on at uh, 1.30. So I was going to go from Dan to Jimmy Dore. And let me just say, I'm going to probably repeat this when Jimmy comes on, but I have to say uh, the uh, suggestion that we have Jimmy Dore on the show came from Leonard Goodman, good friend of the show. Uh, been a guest on the show uh, many times, a radical lawyer, Blago's lawyer, uh, reader, writer, uh, who has far left views, even far further to the left than mine, D, if such a thing is possible. Oh, what a hippie. <laughs> so he said, hey, would you like to have Jimmy Dore in your show? I said, hell yeah. I'd like to have Jimmy Dore in the show. I'm thinking Jimmy Dore is a really popular comic. Jimmy Dore is like a YouTube guy. Jimmy Dore's on the uh, Joe Rogan show and Tucker Carlson show all the time. Maybe, maybe it'll boost our ratings. And instead of being some broke-ass reader writer in my attic overlooking a porta potty D, just imagine this. We'll have a palatial studio in Austin, Texas, just like Joe Rogan. This oh. could be the start, D. We'll be, we'll be a broke-ass podcast with just some more downloads. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Oh, I was just thinking me and Joe Rogan. Yeah, we go out for coffee after. How's your show go today, Joe? Buzz. Got a million hits on that one. Anyway, I uh, got some requests from some uh, dear friends of mine who said I shouldn't have uh, Jimmy Dore on the show uh, and uh, told me that uh, he goes f so far to the left that he ends up going to the right uh, and that he's a danger uh, to the progressive values or the liberal values or the le lefty values that I, that I believe in. And I want to uh, see uh, take place in this country, the issue, the, the policies I wanted to see take place in this country. I, but I said, well, you know what? Let's bring him on anyway. Right. D come on. 
Uh, let's hear what he has to say. Uh, let's hear him defend himself. Let's hear him explain himself. What the hell? Oh, why not? Doorbell. Here we go. So without further ado, there he is. I can see him, folks. Hey, Jimmy can you Dorm. hear me? Yes. And you have sunglasses. Man, I got to get my sunglasses on. I'm going to put some sunglasses on. No, he, he cannot hear us. He cannot hear us. Uh -oh. That is the issue. Jimmy Dorm cannot hear us. Okay, I'm, can you hear me? Yes. 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 Uh, we can hear you. I cannot hear you. Uh, okay. I'm going to wait. So I can't hear you. I wonder why I can't hear you. <laughs> I don't know. What do I need to do? I could tell you why you can't hear us, but then you would you can't hear me, so you can't hear the explanation. Oh, my volume. Oh, there we go. Are you there? Hang on one second. All good. Yeah, you know I have. I must have a window open. Hold on. All right, not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why well, you can't hear us, Dennis? Why don't you do your imitation of Jimmy Dorn? Okay, no, you can't hear us. No, Hello? I got it. Oh, All right, you can hear us. You, all right. How's it going? Nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you, young man. Did you hear what I just said? Right. I did not. Tell me again. Uh, I said that uh, as long as he can't hear you, Dennis, that's the producer, why don't you do your uh, imitation of Jimmy Dore? <laughs> I don't oh, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I, he, well, it's not that great. Not. It's not that great. Uh, big fan of the show. Uh, Jimmy Dore here. That's all it is. That's nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, okay. <laughs> nothing well, amazing. Suddenly he's modest, Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. He, do, he does you all the time. Anyway, uh, Jimmy Dore. Well, not, I, I haven't met anybody yet who does it can really, like, even like Mike McRae on the show. It doesn't really sound like me, so I would love if someone could do a like a spot on. But people do kind of like I've seen. There's a bunch of people who do like mocking ones that don't really sound like me. They just sound like me, dumb. But <laughs> if someone could just really can nail like Mike McRae nails impressions, I was really hoping he would nail it. But damn it, he just ends up sounding like this, like yeah. talking like that. I'm like, I don't talk like that, Mike. That's not how I sound. Anyway, but anyway, okay. All right, uh, here you are. Thank you for being here. And as I said before you came on, uh, that uh, Leonard Goodman, a good friend of the show, urged uh, me to bring you on as a guest. Uh, and he said, make sure you have him come on uh, before he appears in Chicago, because the whole point of him coming on that, I mean, oh. he really wants to talk to you, is to plug his show in Chicago. So before we get down to the nitty gritty, uh, why don't you do that? Uh so tell so folks, just, yes, go ahead. So we just added a second show. We sold out the first show. We're at the Thalia Hall this Saturday, which is August 7th. So it's at Thalia Hall, which is on the, uh, it's in Pilsen over there area. Yes. And um, I used to live over there when I started comedy. I was at 19th and Jefferson. Anyway, uh, so yeah, it's this Saturday. We're doing a live Jimmy Dore show. They're always a ton of fun. And uh, so we just added a second show uh, this week. And so I think there's a nine o'clock show now, maybe. I don't, I think maybe nine or 9.30. Anyway, so yeah, so go to jimmydorecomedy.com and get your tickets or go to thaliahall.com and get your tickets there. So I'd, yeah, with, it's, it's going to be a fun time. We're going to have uh, a special guest. I don't want to say who it is, but we're going to have a special guest with us Saturday night. Last night, uh, we did a show in Burbank, California, and our special guest was Jay Leno. Oh. So that that was fun, and so uh, I hope everybody's are into special surprise guests, and we're gonna have another one on Saturday in Chicago. So yeah, so thanks for letting me do that. I appreciate your help getting the word out, and uh, it's gonna be a blast. I uh, my source tells me that the special guest is gonna be Rahm Emanuel. Is there any truth to that rumor? The, uh, I cannot confirm nor deny who the special guests are, 
that's always uh, it's always a going to be a big question. All right, very good. Look at the tucking and dodging there. All right, Jimmy. Um, so when I announced uh, that you were going to be a, a guest on my show, I got some criticism from some dear friends of mine who said I shouldn't uh, bring you on the show. Uh, they're right. They're right. Yeah. And uh, I said, this was a shameless attempt by me to uh, increase my ratings, so I'm not stuck in my attic anymore. Uh, I hope that uh, some of your listeners become regular listeners of my show. Uh, so, yeah, there's, I'm being sh- open about it, uh, Jimmy. So before no, I get into all the questions of why uh, people of the liberal persuasion and the lefty persuasion, of which I am one, have such mixed feelings, to put it mildly about you, let's talk about you in Chicago. You just alluded to the fact that uh, you used to live at 19th and Jefferson, but uh, just doing some basic research about you, uh, reading some articles in the Tribune, I learned that you were actually grew up in Chicago. Do I have that correct, that you uh, went to high school in Chicago as well? Yeah, I went to uh, Our Lady of the Snows Grammar School. I went to St. Lawrence High School. And uh, then I went to Illinois State for a few years. And then uh, where I met Pete D'Alessandro, who we we became... uh, great friends who ran Bernie's uh, Iowa campaign both times. And, uh, and then I went to actually got my degree at Columbia college in Chicago in marketing and communications. I was going to go into advertising and, you know, be a writer, a copywriter. And, uh, I just started doing stand up, and that was that they started paying me right away to do stand up. It was unbelievable. It was a great time for stand up comedy in 1989, 1990. And uh, it was a real boom. So, yeah, I didn't I never got a job. I just went right into stand up comedy, but I still did brickwork during the day. So I would still do what they I was called a tuck pointer and people don't know what that is. So I just try to I just tell people it was a bricklayer, but that's not what I was. I was a tuck pointer. No one knows what that is. So but so it's very similar. Um, And so I did that um, um, up until I moved to 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 Los Angeles, which is when I was 30. It was, I think, 1995 I moved. So, yeah, I was 30, right? Yeah. So if I do my math correctly, uh, you were born in 1965. Uh, And uh, so I also read that your father was a Chicago police officer. Was that accurate? Yeah, my grandpa was a cop. My father was a cop. My oldest brother was a cop. Yeah. So did you kind of gravitate in that direction as a young kid? Did you, like, if you watched the Cops and Robbers show, would you be rooting for the cops? Did you want to be a cop? Uh, I did not want to be a cop. Uh, I was not, my dad made me take the police test. It was funny. I was, uh, I was home for summer and, uh, there was, they had the test and and I didn't know about it. My dad woke me and my brother up. He's like, you're going down to take the police test. I was like, what? He's like, you're going to take the police like seven in the morning at a Saturday. I'm like, dad, I'm in college. Can you wait for me to screw up first? (laughs) And, uh, so I went down and took the test because my dad made me and, uh, my brother was in law school. He made him take the test anyway. So um, uh, they never gave me my score, as, which is funny. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so that's I don't, I don't so I don't know if I could have been or not been a cop, but uh, <laughs> I didn't want to be one. Well, uh, what was it like to grow up in a family where your dad was a cop? Let's think about just think about the times. Now you were three. There was a Chicago convention where police were beating up hippies. 
which would be like your descendants, if you will, think about it politically. They were beating up the activists on the streets of Chicago. So you're hearing at the dinner table, I'm sure, the police version of beating up the hippies and getting tough on crime and supporting old man Mayor Daley. Were you the kind of kid that rebelled against that or were you nodding along going, yeah, it makes sense to me? I was really too young to remember any of that. Like the first memory, I I have one memory of the Watergate hearings being on television, uh, but the, I don't really, my, my memories don't really pick up. When Mayor Daley died, is, I remember that, that happened. Um, I don't really remember. No, it didn't. It, and it, my dad was, um, uh, no, he didn't really talk about being a cop. He wasn't one of those guys. He, he was the guy, kind of guy who became a cop because he had kids and he needed insurance and stuff like that. So that's why he was a cop. Uh, he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't, you know, he wasn't a short haired, uh, he didn't take steroids. It was the opposite of that. He, he, he didn't need the excitement. So when did you have your political awakening of sorts? So I, I remember Bill Clinton. I remember realizing that, wow, he's no, really no friend to the working man. And I kind of saw what was happening and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. He's, becoming a right winger he's like he's becoming reagan and then and then of course when the war happened and all the, the establishment media and the uh establishment democrats went along with it that was a big that's when my you know i started talking about stuff like that on stage and and then when the ucb theater opened up in chicago in uh, hollywood they asked me if i would do a show and so i couldn't get over how bad the coverage of war was of the Iraq war. And I mean, I, we, everybody that I knew knew that that was WMDs was ridiculous and that was garbage and that we got attacked by some terrorists. And now we're going to invade Iraq. That night. So, and, but the news media was just horrible. So I started doing a show with video and that led to me getting a, a, a manager uh, that was very a good manager, Alex Murray mm-hmm. at Brillstein. And then we, uh, I got, I got a, an hour special on Comedy Central. I started headlining the improvs, touring with that show. And that led to a radio show at the Pacifica, gave me a nationwide radio show off of that. And so it really was, uh, that's that's how it started. And then I you know, just went on to do some more specials. So continue with my utter obsession with Chicago politics, and we'll get to the national stuff later, but continue with my uh, obsession with Chicago politics during the 80s, that whole time during the 80s, the Council Wars, Harold Washington versus Verdoliak and Burke, you were living in Chicago. Were you following that? Did you did you have like a yeah. side? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, so that was really, you know, so I was in Lipinski's district, right? I was in the 23rd Ward, and I remember when... Uh, Harold Washington died. Boy, that was people. Oh, the yeah, I remember they were up till three in the morning trying to pick the next mayor. And uh, that was really exciting. People were so I remember when when Harold Washington got elected and in my neighborhood, people were. Oh, my God, the blacks are going to take over They were, You know how it is in Chicago. And uh, I lived in a really segregated neighborhood at the um, in the 23rd Ward. It was in Vidham Park, and they had done scattered site public housing. So then there was like a black area, then there was a dividing line of 47th Street, and then from there on it was white. And um, it would they it, it was funny to see. You know what was funny to see was that. Everyone was really certainly scared of Harold Washington. Black guys running our city, right? All those, uh, all the people in my neighborhood. 
but it was funny to see how they all came around like, hey, you know, our, our streets get uh, plowed and the garbage gets picked up and everything seems to work all right. It was like they kind of Harold Washington, I think, was actually uh, a uniter. If he if he didn't die, I think he would have actually gone a long way to uniting people in Chicago. I, I, it was it was unfortunate that he died, I think. Jimmy, did you vote for him? I wasn't old enough to vote, I don't think. Yeah, no. well, you were, but that's okay. You're probably was worrying I? about that. Yes, I just did the math. And you were you were 18 and 83, which is the first time he ran. So you would have been old enough then if you had a mother like mine. You're uh -huh. getting registered to vote right now, and you're going to go vote. Uh, and, uh, of course, you would have been. I don't remember if I even voted. I don't know. <laughs> this is the young pre-politics, uh, Jimmy Dore. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about Harold Washington lately. Uh, uh, we just do, do we do a live show at a local bar called The Hideout, and we had Judge Evans on, and he's the, the head of the circuit court. I was talking about this earlier, Jimmy, and uh, he ran for mayor in 89. Uh, it was There was a split in the black community. And there was a split between Evans and Sarr. I don't know if you remember any of this. You were living in Chicago. Uh, and as a result, Richard M. Daly was elected a mayor. And he, and he held on the office for 21 years. And Chicago, yeah. in my humble opinion, you may disagree with me, uh, has been an, under the control of some pretty uh, horrific mayors ever since who have not been looking out for the people. That's generally where I come from in Chicago politics. And I, I always bring it back to that split in the black community. Because you're right. The reaction to Harold in 87 was not as passionate as it was in 83 when he first ran. And so people like in your neck of the woods would be saying, yeah, you know, my streets paved, but I'm still not voting for him. Do you follow what I'm saying? Jimmy right. Yeah. They voted for Daly. And this is what I yeah. don't understand. Help me out here, Jimmy, because you grew up in Chicago. Why would someone on the southwest side of Chicago who sees that his neighbor is getting a better shake under Harold Washington, be so determined not to vote for him, even with the evidence in his face that things are better off with him. Go ahead. Because people were afraid of black people moving into their, into the neighborhood and then people would flee and then their property values, you know, that cycle that happens, white flight. And so they, they even started um, a neighborhood organization that would have their own private patrols. They would have green lights on top of their cars. And, and they were, and that was strictly because they were afraid of black people. I'm serious. That was the response. Right. And, um, so I, so that's really, that's, so that's what they were afraid of. Even, even though they realized, Hey, Harold Washington is actually a, a competent mayor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, they, they, they kind of dropped their animosity towards him but they still had the fear of black people moving into their neighborhood and then they'd have to move out and because their property value was get lowered. Um, that's was, that was their fear. Uh, but it, it black, I mean, I remember people were real. That was really a big issue when I was a kid. I remember that. I remember my brother was, had a house uh, on Laverne Avenue in Vidham park. And my mom had some parents over friends over to the house and my brother was selling his house and they were screaming, if you sell your house to a black person, I'll follow you to the airport and kill you and all. It was like, it was crazy the way people were. It was crazy. It, I mean, that, that was quite a, uh, an environment to grow up in. And, um, 
And so, yeah, so that's why I think that's that's the answer to that question. Do you think that same fear is at play uh, today with so much of the support of white working people or white people in general? I just pick on working class people, white people in general uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, you know, there's lots of. Di- uh, so I, I talked I interviewed a guy on my show who was a uh, Waffle House cook from Virginia. And he said that, uh, hang on. And he said that, <clears throat> you know, we all know that uh, Donald Trump is a loudmouth Yankee who should have had his ass kicked a long time ago. But he's offering us something and other people aren't. And so we have to take a chance. And that's what I think a lot of people did. They're desperate for a chance. Right. And they see the establishment that has been uh, had their boot on their neck their whole life. And it ain't there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And and then a guy who comes along who poses himself as uh, an outsider to that system who has the power to get stuff done and is going to, you know, going to stand up to them and all that. So, I mean, they, they, you can see why that would be appealing to someone like that and, uh, and or, or appealing enough that they would take a chance. And uh, <clears throat> so it's it's amazing, though, that the way when Donald Trump got elected, the Democratic Democrats, they didn't oppose any of his horribleness. In fact, they encouraged it. They they increased his military budget one hundred and thirty two billion dollars while he was in office. Now, you could end homelessness for twenty billion dollars. So, by the way, that one hundred and thirty two billion, that's not just one year. That's every year in perpetuity. We spend an extra one hundred and thirty two billion dollars on the military when we don't have any an enemy. And Russia is not our uh, uh, is is not you know Russia has a GDP smaller than California. This idea that somehow Russia is pulling the strings in the in the United States is uh, the establishment's way to hide behind that. So you don't examine how people would get so desperate to vote for an obvious con man game show host with no political experience and how he could beat the most well moneyed political machine in the history of our country. So they don't want to answer those questions. They never did an autopsy. You know when the Republican Party lost to Barack. Obama, they actually did an autopsy and uh, the, the Democrats didn't. The Democrats went Russia, 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 racism, Russia, racism. And as if Trump invented racism, you know, the I, uh, three out of the last five RNC chairpersons have uh, apologized for the Southern strategy. So this isn't anything new. Everybody knows that the Republican Party used the Southern strategy, which is using dog whistles to uh, play off racism and to get votes. Everybody knows that, right? So this idea that Donald, but that's, but that's what they want you to think because otherwise you'd have to you'd have to get past identity politics and fear mongering and you have to talk about economics and that's what they don't want to do that's why they want that's why they're implementing uh, uh, identity politics yeah. and if people don't know what identity politics is identity politics is when instead of giving you someone that's going to actually help you they're going to give you somebody in power that looks like you who's going to keep screwing you well, uh, so what I said if the if the Democratic Party was around if it was a 1860 the Democrats would be bragging about their first transgendered slave owner yeah no I heard that joke uh, I forget where I heard you say that but I got to tell you this uh, you're absolutely correct when you say that Donald Trump did not invent racism and prejudice and fear, but he sure the hell exploited it. And uh, just the way Eddie Redoliak exploited it in 1983 uh, when you were a young man. Uh, yeah, I remember in Chicago. Eddie. Yeah, Fast Eddie. And yeah. 
And, and there's always someone, and, and you're absolutely correct. I got to, as an old lefty, I have to say, Jimmy Dore, you are absolutely correct. Uh, when you talk about all uh, the fear mongering, uh, when it comes to the wars and how every now and then a Democrat and a Republican, they get together and they, uh, they concoct some reason to have a war, get everybody all fired up on the war. So they don't look what's going on. I would say uh, that uh, to that, I would add the fear of other. So the Republican party right now is exploiting the same fear of other uh, that the Democrats in Chicago exploited in the 1980s. And that got people who would like Harold Washington would want, would probably, if they were just being as logical as they could, would vote for Harold Washington, but won't do it. Do you follow me, Jimmy? So this so is my. So you're ahead. saying you're saying like always since I've been alive, the Republican Party is use is stoking racism for votes and power. Yes, absolutely. So nothing new about that. No, <laughs> it's nothing new about that. And yeah. by the way, the Bill Clinton and the Democrats did the same thing. If you've ever seen those videos of them talking about the uh, Mexicans and how we have to build. I mean, they're all for the war. I mean, Joe Biden is still going to court, taking people's houses away to continue building the border wall, for Christ's sake. If you ever heard the rhetoric that Bill Clinton used to use against uh, immigrants from uh, Mexico, it is. Ju- it was just as, as almost word for as word for the kind of stuff Donald Trump was saying. It is really distasteful to hear the shit that they were saying, blaming our problems on immigrants again. And so this is a bipartisan thing. So, you know, Barack Obama deported uh, more uh, Hispanics than all uh, the pro- presidents combined since 1890. That's according to Fusion's reporting. So this I, and by the way, he built those cages, right? And by the way, right now, da- 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 Joe Biden uh, has doubled the amount of people in detention facilities. And so Donald Trump actually deported less, way less uh, Hispanics than Barack Obama did. So the idea that you had to vote for Hillary Clinton because of uh, immigration is it's not true. Uh, that uh, that idea that, well, if you had kids in cages, well, they're still in cages. And guess who built them? So this idea that this one party, and by the way, we all know that capitalism runs on racism, right? And who owns a Democratic Party except Wall Street, the military industrial complex, big oil and big pharma. So uh, that we have to, I'm telling people that we have to stop voting for Democrats. Uh, we have to do it for at least one cycle. As Lawrence O'Donnell said, they don't have to listen to you. <laughs> show them that you are willing to help withhold your vote. And right now we have nobody fighting for us. And that's the, that's the real failure of the squad and the justice Democrats, because it would be better off if they weren't in there because they give the false impression that there is someone in there fighting for you. But wait a minute, wait, wait. Now. Right now, Corey how, could, how could you, how could you say they would be better off if they I mean, because what, what's needed is we need a break from these two parties. We got to stop supporting. Uh, it's it's what America has one po- corporate pro war, pro Wall Street party. And in usual American extravagance, we have two of them. I mean, they, they work for the exact same people. Right. So that's not my joke. That's someone else's joke. But uh, that, that's, I'm glad you gave him credit for it. But I. I would I would say there's a significant difference. Uh, uh, you may call it the margins between a Democrat and a Republican. Uh, I'll give you just one example. And okay. I, I just got this. This for some reason, Jimmy, I'm on mailing lists from the Republican Party. I don't know why I've never given a nickel to him, but I'm on every mailing list. And so I just continue to keep 
I, I, I let them come in because I want to see what they're saying. And every day I get, I'm not kidding, like 50 emails from Republicans. And they're always pushing certain points, pushing. And so I just got one today that said, look out. Look out. The Democrats are going to bring communism to this country. <laughs> communism, Jimmy Dore. OK, <laughs> so Dennis and I would be driving home. If only. <laughs> Jimmy Dore. Uh, if only. Uh, the views and opinions of Jimmy Dore do not necessarily reflect those of the Ben Jarofsky show. Anyway, uh, so Dennis and I would be driving home, the producer Dennis, and we would be listening to your show. Uh-huh. And, and you would be ripping the Democrats. That's right. You'd be ripping them. I'm like, yeah, give me hell, Jimmy Dore. Now let's go punch a Republican. Come on. I want to just come on. Just for the hell of it, Jimmy Dore. Just you got to exercise that muscle. I mean, you know, you were you even started ripping my beloved Bernie Sanders. I'm like, just oh, Bernie just Sanders. What a, what, a, what a disappointment of epic proportions, Bernie Sanders. So wait, so why don't you just occasionally, just for the hell of it, just to exercise the arm? Go. I mean, you acknowledge they're a freaking racist party that. They're both racist parties. This idea, this okay, idea. Okay, that, okay, that, okay. That so the Republicans have. Uh, so a why not just go the Joe why Biden not? is the president. Joe Biden said he didn't want his kids growing up in a racial jungle. Joe Joe Biden passed the racist uh, crime bill. He takes big credits. And what did that do? That mass incarcerated black and brown people at rates that's never seen. We're the largest penal colony in America, and he still is ramping up the drug war right now. He's not reducing it. So this again. This, so I just come from a different perspective, and people want me uh, to. I I, I certainly. Uh, my show made uh, made fun of Republicans all the time, and then uh, in the when the when the Bernie Sanders thing happened, I realized no, uh, what I what my role should be because that's low hanging fruit, uh, and of course we we of course we exposed Donald Trump for all his, and I would expose to my audience. I'm sure you heard those shows where I go now the people who th- voted for Donald Trump now you know he's a con man now you know he's not doing what he said he was going to do now he's not standing up to the establishment he actually is the establishment he's passing this tax cut for billionaires and he's not giving you anything and he said he's going to give you health care and he's going to make the government pay for it and he's not doing anything in fact he's giving you less health care Donald Trump is just a bigger tool of the same people he claims to be fighting he's not he's one of them and I've said all that on my show I just don't spend as much time saying that uh, because what I think my job to do on my show is just like Chomsky says, is you try to clean up your own house first. So <laughs> I try to pull the Democratic Party to the left. So in my the way I'm trying to do it now as I'm taking Lawrence O'Donnell's advice and I'm trying to start a pr- third party called the People's Party with Nick Brana, who used to be Bernie Sanders National Political Outreach Director in 2016. So we, we are trying to do this thing called People's Party. And what I've said before is that we don't need to get a majority. What we need to get is a start polling at 10 or 15 percent, which would be just a, as many people who voted for Bernie, probably even less. You don't even need as many. And if they would just stop voting for the Democrats for one cycle, we would get a lot of power now. And if we base the party on populist idea, popular ideas on left and right, for instance, 
single payer. Turns out the majority of Trump voters are for it now. So we can do that. Ending the wars. Turns out the majority of them are for ending the wars. How about a minimum wage? It always passes. It's very popular. So how, how about we do student debt relief? How about we do marijuana legalization? So we can run a party on that. Just like when they started the Republican Party, it was an anti-slavery party. So we can start our party on things that everybody agrees on. And so now it's the Democrats or the Republicans can't get elected without our votes because we'll have 15 percent. And by the way, that gets us into the debates. So again, they'll, I guess they'll, I'm sure they'll change the rules as soon as we qualify, like they always do. Yeah. But so that's how you that's how you pull the party to the left. And that's what Lawrence O'Donnell said in that documentary about Ralph Nader. And if you ever want to have a chance to pull the Democratic Party to the left, you have to be willing to show them that you're going to withhold your vote for them. And until you do that, they don't have to listen to you. He said it. He was the chief of staff for Monaghan, the senator. And he said, believe me, I was worked in Washington. I was worked that I was a Democrat. I never had to listen to anybody on my left. You and know, so now we're trying to find a way to make them listen. So this is why. So my job is to critique them from the left, to get them just to do what they ran on. I'm just trying to get the Democrats who got elected to do what they ran on. Yeah. I'm not asking them to go. Oh, I want Joe Biden to give me a public option. I want Joe Biden to give me student debt relief. I want him to give me a living wage. He ran on all that shit and he's not doing any of it. I, I, I hear you, by the way. I loved, you know, I love the riff on Trump. Can I just say this, Jimmy? I love that riff. It was like a minute. You went a minute on Trump. It was really good. And then you, Thank you. Went, went right back to the Dems. So what we're going to do, selective editing, when this has come out, all the only show will be that one minute riff on Trump. Ah, it was a fast interview with Jimmy Dore. You didn't have much else to I say. Mean, everybody knows that. The Wait, Republican- Jimmy, hold on, hold on, hold on. Every single issue. See, I, I, part of me wants to be like you. Okay. Part of me <laughs> wants to be like Jimmy Dore. I want to be rich. Okay. I want to wear sunglasses, but not everybody can be Jimmy Dore because, well, first I of all, I make less money than AOC. So I don't know people start to say I'm rich. I okay, don't bash AOC. Money. I love AOC. No. I don't just, just let's, before we get to AOC. Okay. No, I love AOC. Would you say that if you were talking about AOC? I want to be like AOC. I want to be rich. Would you say that about her? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay, good. I mean, comfortable. I don't know. There's rich and there's, I mean, you know, I'm a reader writer, Jimmy Dore. You ever heard, you You must have seen a reader when you were, I am a reader. I'm, I'm an I'm old a YouTuber. reader writer, Jimmy Dore. Okay. I'm a, I'm a fucking nightclub comedian YouTuber. I, everything I did, I made, I had to uh, bite, scratch and, scla- scratch and claw for my whole life. No, so. I, uh, I, I love AOC. I, I, I love her. She, she came out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. She beat the old boy and, uh, yeah, she's playing a game to a certain degree. Come on, Jimmy, you got to play the game. I mean, I get what you do. You're on, you're not in the arena, so I'm not in so it the, either. I just have so a microphone. Ben, ben yeah, the, the, the co-founder of the justice Democrats, Kyle Kalinsky, has now come around and he says on his show on the regular that the AOC and the squad are an abject failure. So that's the co-founder of the Justice Democrats. And people want to make it seem like Jimmy Dore is some kind of bad guy who's mean to the to the poor, powerful people in Congress. Uh, it's it's an, it's obvious to anybody who's taking a look at what's happened. But, but wait, I'm sure. Wait, wait, hold on. We, I, I allowed you to take me on a tangent. And I willingly went on the tangent, but uh, with my love for AOC. But let me go back to where I was going. Okay. I obsessively follow all those issues that you talked about: healthcare, uh, 
incoming and inequality. Can you, hold, can you hold one second, Ben? Ben, I, someone's here. Can you hold one second? I apologize. Oh my God, this is this has never happened. Jimmy Dore has got up. He's left. Oh, she can you pop Hang on. But now he's. Okay, I'm all back. Right, right. Okay, cool. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, no, that's all good. It was funny. It was uh, all of a sudden somebody showed up at my house. I'm like, hi, well, who are you? Yeah, who are you? Why are you here? Uh, bring them on the podcast. Uh, maybe they'll praise AOC. All right, anyway. Um, so I obsessively follow all those issues that you ran down on the local level. And in every single instance, Jimmy Dore, every single instance, the Republican Party is fighting. The Democratic Party on those, so they're pushing, and I re, and, and you, you know, every single I've I watched this now. I had, so my I had whole Shama life, Sawant, I had Shama Sawant on my show, and she's a socialist who's elected to the city council in Seattle. Wait, hold on, let me just finish. One, this, let me just finish this thought, and then you can get to that. So, okay, in every single instance, it's immediate reaction. You cannot find one Republican to support you on any of those initiatives. Not only I that. I can't find a Democrat to support me on any of those <laughs> well, initiatives. I can find Democrats that at least support the uh, the issue. I, Here in Chicago, we got a bunch of them. Carlos Ramirez the, the Rosa. De- the, de- the Democrat, I'm talking on a national level, the Democratic Party is in complete control of government. And what are we getting? We're getting right-wing legislation left and right. They ramped up the military budget again. Yes, they did. I can't argue with now. you, Jimmy Dore. I can't argue with that. But the, my point is this. The and resistance. Not healthcare in the middle of a pandemic. I, I would say the, the resistance from the Republican Party, the labeling of every single initiative that you ran down as a radical. I just told you, I got this email. They're calling them communists. They've been doing the, that since I was in grammar But it works. It works. You, you just talked about nothing. how. It, hey, you know what? There's that. Remember that song, Ben? You ain't been doing nothing if you ain't been <laughs> called a red. If you marched or agitated, you're bound to hear it said. So you might as well ignore it or love the words instead. Because you ain't been doing nothing if you ain't been called a red. That's a great uh, song. And you did a, a, a marvelous rendition of it. But I'm just simply saying, and the reality is this. Uh, yeah, they call you reds. And they. They uh, build a resistance to every single one of those initiatives that you uh, that you say you champion and you can't find any support among the Republican Party. And more than that, they malign you. They call you a red and they get people to vote against their own interests by maligning you. So how can you possibly think that in this country with that wall of opposition coming from the Republican Party, a third party would be the solution? Uh a vote for the Democratic Party is a vote against your own interests. That's for goddamn sure. Uh, if you voted for Joe Biden, you ain't getting fucking anything. And you're not even getting, you know how the rest of the world handled their COVID? When they, if they shut down your business, they paid your employees' salary. We didn't do that in the United States, the richest country on the face of the earth. And Joe Biden is a tool, a foot soldier of corporate America, Wall Street, the military industrial complex, and big pharma, which is why you ain't getting health care. You're not even going to get a public option. They're keeping that from you. Barack Obama said he wouldn't sign a health care plan unless it happened. It had that in it in 2008, and he did it anyway. They Jimmy, you can't find a Republican in the wait, state wait, of wait, Illinois. Wait, 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 ben, ben yeah, go you got to let me make my case. Barack go Obama ahead. had a comp- filibuster-proof Senate. They had the House, and he had the White House, and we got a right-wing, bullshit, corporate giveaway health care plan fucking anyway. He, what did he do? He kicked 5.1 million families out of their house in a similar economic si- uh, situation, and he gave their houses to Wall 
Wall Street after he bailed them out. And then what did he do? He took us from two wars to fucking seven. And then he dropped more bombs than George Bush. He deported more Hispanics than every president combined since 1890. And he built those fucking cages. And then he gave uh, equity firms on their way out the door another bailout, which made it harder for first-time homebuyers and renters. He did everything to screw up the working class. He did nothing for them. And black people's, uh, the income and disparity exploded under him. And guess, guess what happened? The stock prices of big pharma and the stock prices of health insurance went up. So voting for a Democrat is against your own interest. And I'm sorry to have to tell people that, but that's why people don't like me. Because they want to believe that there's somebody in government fighting for you. And there fucking isn't. Look at what Barack Obama's doing in his goddamn library. It's bullshit. Uh, those people doesn't give a fuck about you. Barack Obama lives on a 30-acre estate on Martha's Vineyard worth fucking $15 million. And you're, you're going to tell me he gives a shit about anybody? He doesn't. He Again, they dropped so many bombs that they ran out of bombs. That's the tool he is. He's the only guy I know who had a fucking peace prize and a kill list, which killed 90% innocent people. So this idea that Putin's a thug and our presidents aren't is, again, propaganda. You've been propagandized. Everybody's been propagandized. And that's why my show catches such flack, because we're over the fucking target and we're letting people know that your politicians are fighting against you and not for you. All right. Well, I definitely let you make your case. That was a hell of a riff. That was another one. What what what'd you say? I said I super appreciate I knew that. Was <laughs> yeah, I let you you go, let me make wouldn't. my case. I go, all right, Jimmy Dore, go. Most people would and I, so I appreciate it. And the old lefty and me. I agree with like, I'm, I'm, it's just like being in that car. Listen, and we, me and Dennis driving in the car, listening to you go on one of your little rants. And I'm like, you know, the guy makes a good point. But you don't the have to pro- say all that nasty shit about AOC. Come on now. <laughs> the problem okay? isn't that. Come on, have- I love AOC. And you know what? <laughs> you when you go on the Tucker Carlson show, I want to go. I want to hear a. Uh, I want to hear that Trump riff because old boy Tucker's just using you. You think he likes you, Jimmy Dore? He's like, I'm going to bring this lefty on my show and get this lefty talking all shit about Democrats, and that I'll be that little smile of his, like. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, these- come on! I want I- you to go because it's live, isn't it? Is live? Yeah. yeah well, Tucker? Um, all right, yeah, so when you. When you go on his live show, yeah. So it's live. You could say whatever you want. You could go on that Republican rant. You could go, yeah. look, Tucker Carlson, right now, I'm telling you, right now, your boy Donald Trump, he's just manipulating the hell out of all these working class people. If you vote for Donald Trump, you're voting against your own interests. You want to get health care, you're not going to get it with Donald Trump. You want to get fair taxes, not going to get it with Donald Trump. You, you want to get an end to inequity in this country, not going to get it with Donald Trump. I want you to do that the next time. I, 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 I respect you come on a lefty show and rip Democrats. I want to hear you when you have that power, that access. When you go on a right-wing show, I want to hear you rip Republicans. Go ahead. Take so, away, it, it, again, it's it's about a for, for I go on uh, when I go on a major platform like that, I'm thinking about how can I forward my agenda? Again, my agenda. So my agenda when I went on Tucker Carlson was to convince half the country and him that Julian Assange was not a terrorist or a cyber hacker or a criminal, that he was actually a journalist who was, uh, and now he's being prosecuted for doing actual journalism and exposing war crimes. And so uh, Tucker Carlson at the, uh, uh, even said at the end of that segment, he said, you know, you convinced me about Julian Assange based on the strength of your argument. Now that used to be the gold standard for lefties when I grew up is that if you could convince 
uh, right wingers to come out. That's the whole thing. You want to use the power of our arguments that our policies are better. And I was able to do that. I was out. And so the reason why Tucker Carlson would bring me on was because we shared a common interest about anti-war rhetoric. Right. And I could never understand. And I still don't understand why he's allowed to tell the truth about Syria. So he was the only one doing it in mainstream news media. And what I tell people, when you see me on Tucker Carlson, you should get angry. Not that I'm on Tucker Carlson's bringing a progressive lefty message to half the country. You should be upset that nobody else lets me come on their show to bring that progressive anti-war message to their. I would love to go on Rachel Maddow, Chris Hayes, fake tough guy, Lawrence O'Donnell, Chris Cuomo, Anderson (laughs) Cooper, Wolf Blitzer, Zionist Wolf Blitzer. I would love to go on all their shows. They don't invite me. Why? Because I'm anti-war and I critique both parties because they're both corporately owned and that's what they can't have. And so that's why they smear people like me because I am independent media. And that's why they want you to make people afraid of people like me, that I'm some kind of uh, uh, an enemy of the left. I am the left and they're the corporate left. And that's why they're trying to smear people like me. All right, look, just next time you go on Tucker Carlson, do me a favor. You went on that filibuster there. Just do what I said. Just you, part of the, the message that you want 50 percent of the people to hear is what a fraud Donald Trump is. I've written. Now, I do. I give you credit for this. I will give you credit. I got I went yes. on Donald Trump and criticized him. Uh, when you, you went on. Uh, I went on Tucker Carlson. I criticized yeah. him for going after Iran and Venezuela. I, so whenever it comes up, and I, I do it. This idea that I don't do that is ridiculous. All right, well, I want to see you do it some more. And by the way, his uh, quote unquote being convinced about Assange that, you know, as well as I do, Jimmy Dore, that's all tactical. Because they hated on Assange back in the day. And Republicans have done a switch. And they think it's in their tactical advantage to uh, be supportive of him. If he started releasing information that made Donald Trump look bad, man, Tucker Carlson, we the first one. We need investigations. How did he get this information? Who leaked it to him? Is it the dirt, dirt, deep state? Remember that? Whenever you have some dirt on Donald Trump, they always want to know who was the one who leaked it. Where'd they get that information? We need an investigation. And, I, and then when they flip it and when they got some dirt on Hillary Clinton, it's like, hey, man, don't you believe uh, in letting in free speech and investigative journalism? Man, these guys are the biggest frauds, Jimmy. It's just like cancel culture. Don't get me started on cancel culture. They're always whining and crying that when you say you're not allowed to insult so, uh, like a black person or a woman anymore. Oh, man, they're taking away my rights. But now it comes to teaching slavery. They're trying to impose laws in this country. You can't even teach slavery. Jimmy Dore, if you try to go into a classroom in Tennessee right now and talk about how the Republican Party was the party against slavery, which is something you said about 15 minutes ago, they say, get out of this class, young man. You're making the, the little white kids feel bad. And that, that you can't let little white kids feel bad. That's playing the victim card. So you see what I'm saying, Jimmy? What I'm saying is if you want to help black and brown people in America, nothing would help them more than a living wage, health, Medicare for all and student debt relief. And all right. so you, know, I, you want to talk about some fucking thing that's happening in Tennessee that I could give a shit about. That you, I'm not. Yeah, you there. don't give a shit about it. When it doesn't, I don't give a shit about it. Not, you know what I give a shit about? I give a shit about that's going to make a material difference in people's fucking lives, which is a $15 living wage, Medicare for all, student debt relief, free college and ending the fucking wars. That's yeah. going to make that going to help black and brown people any more than this fucking bullshit uh, worrying about. I don't spend any time worrying about that stuff. Well, you see, but that's it's part of the fight that they have against the things that you want. 
that like trying to get white people against black people and try to convince white people that black people are the enemy and that uh, they've manufactured this case against white people is what is, is a force, a factor, a major force and factor against the implementation of all those things that you say you want. So it's like if you ignore that fight, you're ignoring the larger fight as well. That's incorrect. You pretend like just the Republicans are the ones stopping those things. It's the Democrats. Joe Biden can right now give you Medicare for all with the stroke of a pen. He could give you student debt relief with the stroke of a pen. Uh, he could make marijuana legal. He could do all the. He could end the I agree with you on the marijuana the thing. Pen. So I, I this, idea, this idea, this idea that you, just, you just have this pretend that the, only the Republican Party is against workers. Uh, it's not. It's the Democratic Party too. It's one party rule. So that's why you get. So you get caught up in this, and you waste a lot of I, I in my opinion that's a waste of energy because it, you're you're still playing you're pretending there's two parties in america and there isn't all right you know what i got a feeling we're gonna have to talk a lot longer for me to convince you that i'm right and uh or the <laughs> other way around all right okay. i appreciate but, it ben i really appreciate you bringing me on and uh, letting me get my message out about our shows at thalia hall uh, uh thank you very much that's uh, very helpful all right, Jimmy Dore. Why don't and we you, one all more? agree on goals. We have the same goals. You and I have the same goals. Yeah, I'm a lefty, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> I got about 10 years on you. Okay, you got a while to catch up with me. Oh, really? uh, okay. But I'm a lefty, and uh, we would disagree immensely. Maybe we'll do a whole show uh, debating the mayor. I think uh, AOC is, uh, is just... Uh, Why do you what? think Kyle Kalinske says she's a failure? I don't know. Failure? I don't, I don't know. I actually do not. I did not know that when you said that. So, you know, I didn't comment. You notice I didn't say anything about it. I mean, I'm kind of like a guy, if I don't know something, I don't really comment about it because I never heard him say that. So I'll have to do the research on that one and get get back to you. All right, Jimmy Dore, uh, one more time. Tell folks where you be this Saturday. And so I do a letter, Goodman. Uh, This is for you. Go ahead, Jimmy. We're we're in Chicago uh, at Thalia Hall. We're doing two shows. Uh, we just added a second show. So go to uh, ThaliaHall.com or go to JimmyDoreComedy.com for tickets. It's called spelled Jimmy Dore, D-O-R-E. Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate you taking time. Very good. That's uh, Jimmy Dore. Thank you uh, very much, Jimmy Dore. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, Dr. D, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. As Jimmy Dore will tell you back home at Alton, they call him the peach picker. I forgot what they called him. Take care, everybody. See you tomorrow. They call me Dennis.